This afternoon, congregation, we deal with Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 18 will also read in connection with that Article 26 of the Belgic Confession. But first of all, we'll read together Lord's Day 18. And there we confess the following from the Word of God. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all. For his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. And third, he sends us his spirit as a counter-pledge by whose power we seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and not the things that are on earth. And then we'll read together also Article 26 of the Belgic Confession, page 511 in your book of praise. And there we confess Christ's intercession. We believe that we have no access to God except through the only mediator and advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. For this purpose, he became man, uniting together the divine and human nature that we might not be barred from but have access to the divine majesty. This mediator, however, whom the Father has ordained between himself and us should not frighten us by his greatness so that we look for another according to our fancy. There is no creature in heaven or on earth who loves us more than Jesus Christ. Though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself, taking the form of man and of a servant for us, and was made like his brothers in every way. If, therefore, we had to look for another intercessor, could we find one who loves us more than he who laid down his life for us, even while we were his enemies? If we had to look for one who has authority and power, who has, more, who has more than he who is seated at the right hand of the Father and who has all authority in heaven and on earth, moreover, who will be heard more readily than God's own well-beloved Son? Therefore, it was pure lack of trust which introduced the custom of dishonoring the saints rather than honoring them doing what they themselves never did nor required. On the contrary, they constantly rejected such honor according to their duty, as appears from their writing. Here one ought not to bring in our unworthiness, for it is not a question of offering our prayers on the basis of our own worthiness, but only on the basis of the excellence and worthiness of Jesus Christ, whose righteousness is ours by faith. 
Therefore, to take away from us this foolish fear, or rather distrust, the author of Hebrews, with good reason, says to us that Jesus Christ was made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Further, to encourage us more to go to him, he says, therefore, since then we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The same letter says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, etc., Also, because Christ lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. What more is needed? Christ himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why should we look for another advocate? It has pleased God to give us his Son as our advocate, Let us then not leave him for another or even look for another without ever finding one. For when God gave him to us, he knew very well that we were sinners. In conclusion, according to the command of Christ, we call upon the Heavenly Father through Christ, our only mediator, as we are taught in the Lord's Prayer. We rest assured that we shall obtain all that we ask of the Father in his name. So far, our confessions. Brothers and sisters in the Lord and boys and girls belonging to the Lord. Obtaining and handing out. Earning, sharing. That's what Jesus' suffering and glory are about. His humiliation and his exaltation. In his humiliation, he obtains for us and in his exaltation he gives to us shares with us by his suffering he obtains salvation for his own and in his glory he distributes that salvation by his resurrection he confers on us the life he has obtained for us by his ascension he grants preservation of that life And when he returns in glory, he'll bestow the full glory of that life. So that's what he distributes in his exaltation. So this afternoon, that second part, by his resurrection, he grants the preservation of the life he obtained for us. And preservation of that life in Christ then implies that that life in Christ is threatened. Otherwise, it wouldn't have to be preserved, kept. And you see, the devil would like nothing more than to tempt us to give up on that life which Christ obtained for us and promised to us. And we're so weak in ourselves, we forget 
to feed that new life and value it and protect it as we should. We all too easily let other things take over in our lives and in our hearts. The thing is, we cannot give ourselves faith and neither can we keep ourselves in that faith. And that faith, keeping and growing in that faith, is what Christ's ascension is about. Keeping us in that faith. Growing us in that faith. I preached to you Lord's Day 18, particularly the last question and answer this afternoon with this theme then, the benefits of Christ's ascension into heaven. Three benefits we could mention here uh, along the lines of the answer there. First, trust. Second, longing. And thirdly, assurance. First of all, trust. So in answer 46, we confess that Christ is now in heaven for our benefit. Question 49 asks, how does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? And the first part of the answer is, he, we have our advocate in heaven before the Father. He is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Our advocate. The person who speaks up for us before God, before God's throne. Who takes up our cause before God. You see what an advocate before God is if you think about the, the temple, the Old Testament temple service. Animal sacrifices were offered up in the temple all year long. You know, blood was poured out, collected, sprinkled. All those sacrifices were fulfilled on Good Friday. Christ was the sacrifice all those animal sacrifices pointed to. And then that that one great day of atonement on that day of atonement the high priest he went through the curtain into the holy of holies with the blood of the goat on which all the sins of the people were laid and the high priest wore an ephod when he did that a kind of an apron over top of his robe with shoulder straps on and there were precious stones on the on each shoulder on each strap of the ephod. And on those stones were inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So the high priest carried two things into the Holy of Holies with him. Two things. He, the blood of the, he took along with him the blood of the sacrifice, which he then poured out on the ark, And he took with him the names of the tribes of the people of Israel on his shoulders. Well, so Christ, as our advocate, at his ascension, entered the heavenly holy of holies with the blood of his own sacrifice, his own completed sacrifice, and with all the names of his own people. He took those two things with him into heaven to show to his father. Father, here is my sacrifice for sins. 
And here are the names of all I offered myself up for. And thus he is the advocate for his own. And would God the Father refuse to hear him when he speaks up for those who belong to him on the basis of his shed blood? No, of course not. Now that Jesus shows the sacrifice for those names and and those names for that sacrifice to his Father, it doesn't mean that he has to remind God the Father about his people as if God would forget his people at some point or forget that that he had fulfilled the sacrifice. No, the Father loves his own with eternal love. How could he ever forget a single one of his own? And the Father knows exactly what happened on the cross. The fulfillment of all things, all the so sacrifice. No, it's not necessary for God to know. It's necessary for us to know. For us to know that Christ is there like that so that we would be strengthened in our faith because now there is somebody who speaks up for us before God the Father on the basis of his sacrifice. And we need to know that so that we can trust that we will never be forsaken or ignored by God. Yes, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, Christ's ascension into heaven assures us that we always have access to God's throne of grace. It's like when somebody sends an urgent request to some office in the government bureaucracy somewhere. You know what happens. Your letter ends up at the, at the bottom of the pile. It's the last one that came in. And then it, but then you see it helps. Yeah, that letter could get lost. But it helps if you have somebody who knows you in that office. You know, a friend or a neighbor or so who knows your, your situation, who works in that office there. That person can make sure that your request isn't going to get lost in the bureaucracy. But they can speak up for you. Expedite your case. That's what our ascended Savior does in heaven with our request to God. With the prayers of his own. He is the certainty for us in heaven there that our requests are always dealt with in heaven. He's our man in the office, the head office. He knows us. He explains and expedites our requests to God, our calls for help, our appeals for comfort, and so on. He receives them, and he brings them to God the Father. And in doing that, he also purifies our prayers. For only what is perfect can exist before God, so also our our prayers have to be perfect. Perfect in content, perfect in uh, motivation, perfect in in the attitude we pray with. But we're not so perfect, are we? And yet we can pray because The Lord, our advocate in heaven, perfects our prayers. Somebody has used the example of a bouquet of flowers. A child, you know, a child walks through the field, picks flowers for mom, wildflowers. White and blue and pink and lots of uh, other green in between, weeds that aren't, aren't so lovely looking, wilted flowers and so on. But the child makes that bouquet and gives that bouquet to mom. 
And mother notices all kinds of not-such-nice weeds and wilted flowers in the bouquets, so she carefully picks all of those out. And then she puts the bouquet in a vase on the table. And it looks beautiful. That's something like what our advocate in heaven does with our prayers, you could say. Our prayers are like a child's bouquet of wildflowers. A lot of weedy and wilted stuff in there that doesn't belong there. Doesn't look good at all. We make unwise requests in our prayers. Things, we ask for things that are, aren't necessarily good for us. That job might not be good for us because it'll involve having to give up Christian principles in the future. That good-looking person may not be the right one to marry because they're not involved in church and not suited to your character. You see, we're limited in what we know, what we know, and we're still inclined to put our own wishes and desires first in our prayers. And then we ask, end up asking God for what's not the most important thing of all. Our prayers are still so earthly when it comes down to it, aren't they? And our attitude leaves a lot to be desired when it comes to prayer. We can pray so routine sometimes, you know, so thoughtlessly sometimes. And wrong motives can creep into our requests too, right? Our prayers can be so selfish sometimes. It's, I, I want it for me. If our prayers have to stand before God as they are, we'd be in trouble. They're so imperfect. If my life depended on my prayers, how perfect my prayers are, I'd be in deep trouble. But Jesus, who ascended into heaven, who is our advocate before the Father, who intercedes for us, he cleanses, purifies, weeds my prayers, and then he brings them to the Father. And they're beautiful to the Father. And so we can approach God the Father through him, in his name. And so our prayers will find their way to God's heart. For as we confess Article 26 of the Belgian Confession, who will be heard more readily by God than his own well-beloved son who gave himself up for us? Congregation, it says in 1 John 2, verse 1, that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In fact, even if we don't pray because even if his own don't pray because they overestimate themselves and don't see the danger somewhere or if they don't even realize they've sinned or are taking a wrong path or if they forget to pray or can't pray because of dementia. Also then, they have an advocate before the Father in heaven who speaks up for them there. He always lives to pray for us. We, we confess that, and that's what it says in Hebrews, in, in Article 26, Belgian Confession. He always lives to pray for us. And he prays for us like he does in his high priestly prayer then in John 17. Father, keep them in your name. Keep them from the evil one. That's how he prays continually for his own before the Father. Also, when they can't pray. And knowing that, gives us trust, doesn't it? 
gives us rest in all the ups and downs of life, rest in Christ, our advocate. If our lives with God depended on our own prayers, it would be a thin thread indeed. But our faith doesn't depend on a thread. It depends on the strong cable of Christ's intercession for us in heaven. And we may trust that it's safely kept then. We come to the second benefit of Christ's ascension into heaven. Longing. First of all, trust. And then longing. The second benefit of Christ's ascension is, as it says in answer 49, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he are head will also take us his members up to himself now to understand this we need to realize that the Lord Jesus returned to heaven differently than he came from heaven when he left heaven he was God of God light of light but He returned to heaven as God and man. He didn't leave the body which he had received by his conception and birth here of the Virgin Mary. He didn't leave that body behind on earth somewhere. No, he took that body along with him when he ascended into heaven. The disciples saw him ascend bodily into heaven. He returned to his father as both God and man, divine and human. And that means that there is now a close connection between the ascended Christ in heaven and his church here on earth. And that bond is so close that when Christ came to the gate of heaven, so to speak, he said, Father, can I come in? But I'm only going to come in if my church can come with me. Like a, you know, a teacher who takes a class to the museum. Teacher says at the door, can I come in? But I'm only gonna come if my whole class can come with me. I'm not gonna leave any of my students outside while I go inside. Well, congregation, Christ ascended into heaven. The Father admitted him into heaven because his work here was complete. And that is a pledge, a guarantee that all his own will also be admitted there. That he will also take us, his members, up to himself. Like he said, John 14, verse 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. He'll take his church to himself because the bond between Christ and his church is tight. Inseparable, actually. As inseparable as head and body. He is the head, his church is his body. And you realize, you know, if I put it that way, it's actually strange that head and body aren't together now. Or to use another image from the Bible, it's strange that bridegroom and bride aren't together. 
That's a remarkable situation because they actually belong together, right? Well, at this time, there's a connection with each other yet, but they're not physical, physically together. There's connection by means of the Word and the Lord's Supper celebration and through prayer, but there's also separation. And you realize that that separation can't go on forever. The head longs to be with the body. The bridegroom longs to be with his bride. Well, so the Lord Jesus longs to have his church with him, to take his church to himself. And then the reverse is true too, right? The bride wants to be with her bridegroom. The body longs for the head. At this time, it's like when a woman is in prison and her husband is free. And he comes to visit his wife in prison. But they can't actually touch each other because there's a layer of frosted glass in between in the visiting room. And they can talk with each other, maybe even see a little bit, see the outline of each other, but they can't touch. And that's what they long to do, to be able to touch. He from his side, she from her side, they long to be with each other take each other in their arms. And that's something like the way it is with Christians here on earth with Christ in heaven. There's contact, but it's not full. Through hearing the word and through seeing in the sacrament some of the outline, through prayer and worship, there is that contact, But that contact could and should be so much more full, so much closer. The bridegroom longs for the time when he can take the bride in his arms. And the bride longs to be with her bridegroom, her husband. It wouldn't be normal if that wasn't the case. She wants to experience the full power of his love with nothing between anymore. And if we think about that, the the question for us is, are we truly bride of that bridegroom? For clearly, at the end of the wedding day, only the bride will go home with the bridegroom. On the great wedding day, only the bride. Not the maid of honor, not the bride's friend or or the neighbor lady. He's not going to take them home into his house, only the bride. So whoever isn't bride of this bridegroom will have to remain outside, will not be where he is. On the other hand, the bridegroom will certainly take his bride who he loves into his home with him. He's not going to leave her standing outside in the cold. And thinking along those lines, you know, if you think and you see it that way, congregation, that gives you certainty, doesn't it? In Christ, he will certainly come for you and me and take us to himself to be where he is in wonderful glory. He longs to have us with him. And so we long to be with him too then, don't we? Because he's there, we want to be there too. Because he's there, 
and we will be there. Not because our faith is so great and strong, but because he doesn't want to be without us forever. We come to the third point, the third benefit of Christ's ascension. We thought about trust, about longing. Now, assurance. Assurance. Answer 49 puts it uh, this way. Third, he sends us his spirit as a counter-pledge. He sends us his spirit as a counter-pledge. Jesus said, John 16, verse 17, it's to your advantage that I am going away. Advantage, why would it be to his advantage to put that distance between him and us? Well, when Jesus was on earth as man and God, but also as man, he could only be in one place at a time. That's because as, as man with a human body, that human body could only be in one place at one time. But now that he has ascended into glory in heaven, he is there and only there with that human body. For his divinity can only be in one, his humanity can only be in one place at a time. However, with his divinity, he can still be in many places. His effect can be in many places. That's what question and answer 48 are about. Lord's Day 18. It's asked how that all works with his humanity and divinity. Are we separating those two? Is Jesus with us or not? The disciples were confused about that too. John 14. How could Jesus say he was going away with them and going away from them and yet be with them again? Well, you can compare that with the sun. The sun is physically in one place, far from us in the solar system. But the sun's rays give us light and heat here on earth. We can feel that here, experience that here. Well, so Jesus is in heaven with respect to his humanity. But with his divinity, with his spirit, he is here in many places on earth. He radiates out here. He's here in his church and his people, wherever they are. And to have his spirit here in us, it, that's a counter-pledge, it says in the catechism. There's something of us in heaven, Christ's human body. He took our flesh in heaven. But there's something of Christ here in us, here on earth, his spirit. So there's connection both ways. In heaven, there's something of ours, and on earth, there's something of his, of heaven, of Christ. And those two things pledge and guarantee to us that we'll fully be in heaven with Christ in the future. For in the spirit we receive something from heaven in our hearts and lives. Love, holiness, joy in God through the spirit. Not fully, not perfectly, but some already. And that's a counter pledge that we'll receive the full amount too in due time. 
like a down payment, assuring us we'll receive the full amount when the time comes. Whoever receives love, holiness, and joy in God now already in some measure can be assured that he or she will receive the full measure of those blessings in the future. And could you imagine what it would be to have the full measure of love, to be able to love perfectly? And what happens then is that through the Spirit we seek the things that are above where Christ is. So the Spirit lives in us. We seek the things that are above where Christ is. That's how the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. The catechism is referring to that. Seeking the things that are above. That means looking forward to and meditating on how things are above in heaven with Christ. Focusing on that in mind and heart from day to day. For if I only focus on what is here below, I will lose courage. My faith is weak. I'm often so blind and foolish. My sins are so many. My enemies are so numerous and powerful. And the church is always under pressure to let go of the gospel. If you think about those things here on earth... If you focus on the things here on earth, you will despair. The ship of the church is so frail. The storms are so fierce. The waves are so high. The crew is so inexperienced. You don't know how in the world it'll ever make it to shore. You only see it sinking away. But by the power of the Spirit, we seek We focus on, we meditate on the things that are above. We can look above everything that is going on here. We focus on the things that are above. We can see something of what's happening up in heaven. We see Christ the head there at God's right hand with all authority and power in heaven and on earth interceding constantly for his church exercising that power on behalf of his own. And that intercession of Christ is the anchor cable by which he holds on to that little ship and never lets it go. If I pay attention to him, if I consider his power, what he's doing there, then I know that the church will always exist, will be here for believers, even if it doesn't look that way. For that cable won't break. It can't break. Jesus holds on to it and he's constantly drawing that ship of the church ever closer to its destination. Drawing it to himself. To its home port. And if you think about that, then there's always hope, certainty, assurance for the church and for believers too. You don't have to be afraid. So brothers and sisters, boys and girls, don't let the earthly, don't let all the things that can go wrong here and everything that goes on here, don't let it scare you. Don't let the persecution of Christians in the world today and the increasing pressure on on Christians in our own secular society scare you for yourself or your, your children. Hey, what will become of them? Don't let it scare you There is a future for all those who are in Christ because of him. 
because he reigns. And don't let earthly possessions take over your heart so that you're afraid to let them go. If you're going to inherit heaven and earth with Christ, why should you be worried about having to give up some money and possessions here for him? Should you not be ready and willing to share with those who have less? And ready and willing to give up things for the sake of the gospel and its progress in the world? Ready and willing to give for the sake of Christian education and for mission and evangelism? Sure, they cost a lot, but wow, if you see that treasure in heaven, it's nothing compared to that. Seeking the things that are above means focusing on that heavenly treasure. And then the earthly treasure loses its shine, doesn't it? And you can let it go. Let me summarize the sermon. How does Christ's ascension benefit us? And now I'll use a nautical picture. A nautical picture. I read about a small, about small fragile fishing boats that fish off the coast of Africa in the Atlantic Ocean. And when the day's fishing is done, those little boats, the crews have to return to the coast. But just off the coast, you know, there's a whole line of dangerous surf. The southern coast of Africa. Huge waves smashing over shallow reefs. If one of those frail little boats would try to sail to that shore on its own, it'd be smashed to pieces by the surf before it even got close to the beach. So what what do these do then, those fishermen? What happens? One of the crew members jumps overboard with a rope and swims through the surf to shore. And once he's on shore, he turns around and he pulls on that rope. He pulls that boat through the surf safely to shore. So with the ship of the church. Jesus is the one who jumps overboard with the rope and swims through the surf. He has, he has gone through the surf of death to shore, to that shore which is heaven. And from that shore, from heaven, he draws his own through the surf, through that surf of death to the shore to be where he is. And the thing is, Jesus only draws ships who are willing to have him on board. Have you felt him pulling you toward him? Have you felt him drawing you closer to him through the word and through the Lord's Supper, which we hope to celebrate next Sunday, and through your prayers? Via those means of the Spirit, he pulls us in so that we may be assured of our faith in him. He keeps in faith and he draws to himself so that with Paul in Philippians, we can say, I desire to be with Christ for that is far better. Amen.